This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. And Jesus began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said this to them plainly. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? But what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angel, the gospel of the Lord. I want to take that as my text this morning from Mark's gospel, chapter eight. Mark's gospel, chapter eight, verses 31 uh, through 38. And so if you have a New Testament, I want to encourage you to turn there. Mark's gospel, chapter eight, and beginning at verse 31, and this morning I want to talk about the scandal of discipleship. The scandal of, the, of discipleship. Indeed, notice again uh, what Jesus says in verse 38, at the very beginning there. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words suggests scandal or something negative and, and bad. Uh, indeed, it's sort of an interesting thing, isn't it? Ashamed. Uh, why would anyone ever be ashamed of Jesus? and his words but there are people who are ashamed and why are they ashamed of jesus and his words well they're ashamed because in one way or another or at one level or, or, or another being a follower of jesus christ is looked down upon by some people uh, some think of it as uh, an expression of a naivete uh, of people misguided uh, others think of it perhaps as inappropriate and, and, and irresponsible when you think of people saying that they deny themselves and, and put Christ first above all other things. Still others who might uh, feel threatened by, the, by uh, Christianity and, and people who follow Christ might even think of uncompromising devotion to Christ uh, as a dangerous thing. And so in the eyes of some, Christ and his message and those who are faithfully committed to him uh, are, are scandalous. And yet um, this isn't anything new. Uh, in fact, this has been the case uh, for Christ and his followers from the beginning. In fact, Paul the Apostle writing to the, Corinthian, the believers at Corinth in the first century in his, what we have in our Bibles as his first letter, wrote this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18, and then 23 through 24. He wrote this. He said, the 
The word of the cross, that is the gospel, is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to people who are not being transformed by this by the power of this message. But to those of us who are being saved or to those of us who are being transformed by it, it's the power of God. Indeed, we preach Christ crucified, a, a stumbling block or a, a message of offense, something that's offensive uh, to the Jews and folly or foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those of us who are called, both Jews and Greeks, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so uh, one might say that the scandal of discipleship or the scandal of being a, a follower of Jesus actually begins with the scandal of Jesus himself, uh, of his message and of his life. Indeed, notice again uh, what Jesus uh, says uh, in verses 31 and just the first part of 32. Notice what he says. He says, and Jesus began to teach them, that is the disciples. In fact, they needed to be taught because they had a flawed understanding. Uh, about who he was as Messiah, he began to teach them that the Son of Man, referring to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, that's the 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 of uh, the religious establishment of all people, uh, would reject him, uh, and that he would be killed, and then after three days rise again, and then in verse thirty-two, Mark says, and he said this plainly which is significant because Jesus oftentimes talked in, in terms of parables and, and so on. Uh, and yet this he was saying to them uh, very plainly. Now, notwithstanding resurrection on the third day, which Jesus mentions, Jesus is talking about suffering and rejection and death. Uh, Paul, uh, Philip Yancey in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, wrote this about Jesus. He said that Jesus's life was defined by rejection. His neighbors laughed at him. His, his family questioned his sanity. His closest friends betrayed him. And his countrymen traded his life for that of a terrorist. You remember Barabbas. And all of this was in keeping with the scriptures, by the way, which Jesus says speak of him. In fact, when we read in Isaiah 53, in particular here, as I'm going to quote it, verses 4 and 6, this, the scriptures bear this out. Perhaps if uh, people in, in Jesus' day, in Peter's day, in the days of the disciples and of those religious leaders who rejected Jesus, uh, they might have been open to what was going on and perhaps even understand their participation in fulfilling the scriptures. But Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, Surely he, the Messiah yet to come, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Indeed, Jesus knew what it was to be unappreciated and misunderstood and falsely accused. He bore our griefs and our sorrows. Anything that you'd ever suffer, Jesus is well acquainted with it. And yet we esteemed him stricken smitten my God and afflicted, that, uh, that God was uh, judging him or punishing him in some way because, because perhaps he was evil. In verse 5, but he was pierced not for his transgressions, he was pierced for our transgressions. Nailed to the cross, a spear in his side. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. 
and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned everyone to his own way but the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and it reminds me of what paul wrote in his second letter to the corinthians second corinthians 5 and verse 21 he who knew no sin that's christ he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god but this wasn't the messiah that uh, the, uh, the the christ that uh, peter and the other disciples were looking for not to mention uh, all of the nation of israel Instead, they were looking for the Messiah, the, the Son of Man, as he's described in the seventh chapter of Daniel. In fact, in Daniel uh, 7, verses 13 and 14, we, we have this name, the Son of Man, which was a title that Jesus used more of himself more than uh, any other title. And it, it was a title that had to, had to do with what Daniel describes here as the Son of Man who comes and he's this uh, world leader, the Messiah. And that's what uh, Peter and the Jews in his day were looking for. Daniel 7, and beginning at verse 13. And Daniel says, I saw the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that is, to God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one is one that shall not be destroyed indeed this is the reason why peter responds in the way that he does to what jesus is saying indeed notice again verses 32 and 33 Jesus said what he said to them plainly. And then it says, and then Peter took him aside uh, and, and began to rebuke Jesus. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter wasn't looking for a, a scandalous Messiah, a suffering Messiah, the Messiah of Isaiah 53. The, 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 the Messiah that was Jesus was describing in himself of going to Jerusalem to suffer and be rejected and killed and so on. Peter was looking for a, a powerful conquering Messiah, the Messiah that's described in Daniel 7, which, by the way, is the same Messiah. It's just his messiahship unfolds in a way that they weren't ready to experience and certainly not ready to uh, accept. And, and so Peter being upset by what Jesus was saying is sort of throwing a throwing a, a, a rod in the spokes of all his desires and plans. It says that Peter uh, took charge of the situation. <laughs> he literally grabs Jesus uh, and, and takes him aside. Uh, and rebukes it. But then Jesus uh, responds in kind. Uh, he, he sees the rest of the disciples. Uh, they're looking on. They know that uh, that Peter has gone, has crossed the boundaries, has gone over the line. Taking, can you imagine, taking charge of this situation and rebuking the rabbi. Uh, but they're confused too. 
about what Jesus said. And Mark says that uh, Jesus uh, re rebuked Peter. Uh, it, it, when Jesus says to, to Peter, get behind me, uh, in, a, in, a, in a sense, what he's saying is, is, uh, is stand down uh, and, and resume your proper, proper place. Uh, indeed, a, a disciple doesn't lead the rabbi. Rather, the rabbi leads the disciple. And the disciple's place is to follow the rabbi from behind. Get behind me where you belong. And so that's why Jesus said what he said. And then, and then Jesus uh, calls uh, Peter Satan. Uh, th that is to say that Jesus was identifying Satan as the ultimate inspiration for the things that Peter was thinking and the things that Peter was saying and the things that Peter was doing. Never mind how right, can you imagine? <laughs> Never mind how right Peter thought that he was. The inspiration was coming from some somewhere else. Indeed, uh, Jesus uh, says uh, to, to, to Peter that he's not minding the things of God. He hasn't got his mind set on the things that God is doing, but rather on man uh, and the things that man would do if he were God. <laughs> but man isn't God, and neither is Peter. And uh, whether he likes it or not, God will carry out, and he did carry out, uh, his plan, just as Jesus described it, regardless of the scandal it may cause. And it is the scandal of Jesus, the Messiah himself, that gives rise to the scandal of discipleship, a true discipleship. Indeed, no notice again, uh, beginning at verse 34. And calling the crowd together, together, calling the crowd together, uh, together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it." But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in return for his soul? Nothing. It's priceless. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, idolatrous would be a word, a synonym for that, this idolatrous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. And so Jesus says two things. Firstly, that if anyone would come behind him and be a follower of his, a, 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 one of his disciples, uh, that person must deny self. That is to say, say no to self. To, to say no to oneself, indeed, this is essential to being ever uh, able in all circumstances to say yes to Jesus. Being able to say no and being committed to saying no to self. Indeed, if we can't say no to ourselves, we will only then ever uh, say yes to Jesus when it suits us. Uh, but that's not discipleship.
It may be cultural Christianity, discipleship with no self-denial, discipleship with no, without any scandal, but that's not true discipleship. Ed Dobson in his book, a, a, a Year of Living Like Jesus wrote this. He said, when Jesus says, follow me, that means get behind me. Literally in the Greek, that's exactly what it means. Get behind me. If anyone would get behind me. He continues, being a follower of Jesus means walking behind him. We often assume that as followers of Jesus that we're supposed to walk, walk next to him. But the problem with that is that when we get to a fork in the road, we tend to try to negotiate with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you know, uh, you want me to go to the left, but I want to go to the right. Uh, is there any way that we can reach a, a negotiated settlement and walk down the middle? <laughs> but with Jesus, Dobson says, with Jesus, there is no negotiating. Indeed, if Jesus is truly Lord, we walk behind him. We walk in the dust of our rabbi. Indeed, there's no negotiating with Jesus, just self-denial. And when Jesus is Lord, he calls the shots. He's the shot caller and he calls them all. And anything less is not true discipleship. Then Jesus says, secondly, that if anyone would uh, come uh, behind him and be a follower of his, that's what it's called, a follower, because you're walking behind him. A disciple of his. Jesus says uh, he or she must take up his cross and follow him. Again, Philip Yancey in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, wrote this about that. He said, The Jesus saying, Take up your cross, was no idle metaphor. It wasn't a metaphor for something else. In Jesus' day, along the roads of Palestine, the Romans regularly nailed up the worst criminals as an object lesson to the Jews. And he asked this question, what kind of image could these words of quote-unquote invitation, <laughs> take up your cross and follow me, what kind of image could these words of invitation have summoned up in his followers' minds? Is he leading a procession of martyrs? Yancey says, apparently so. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his celebrated book, The Cost of Discipleship, who said, when Christ calls a man or calls a woman, when Christ calls a man or woman, he bids him come and die. And this is the scandal of discipleship, self-denial obedience to the point of death of course in our passage jesus promises that those who who lose their lives for his sake and for the gospel will find their lives that's the secret known by all true disciples that the that the way of the cross is the way of life and peace but to those who don't know that yet it may all sound rather unpleasant perhaps even unnecessary. And so some might wonder why all the fuss? It was Chuck Colson and Ellen Vaughn in their book, The Body, who wrote this. 
The challenge for today's church is not so much convincing skeptics of the truth of the gospel as it is really believing it ourselves. Listen again what Colson writes. The challenge for today's church is not so much convincing skeptics of the truth of the gospel as it is really believing it ourselves. Mark, the gospel writer, called what he wrote the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that includes Mark's record of Jesus's words in the eighth chapter of this gospel that we have as our text. Is that the gospel you believe? The scandal of discipleship. Let us pray. All of this might seem rather strange and that the gospel or following Jesus would be a scandalous thing. But I think that's only, Lord, because we've gotten rather far away from what Jesus was really calling us to do when he called us to be his followers. And so now we've turned it uh, in our world into within the context of cultural Christianity into something else. That so Jesus sort of becomes our cosmic valet just kind of standing uh, and, and on call to uh, just come and serve us whenever we think we need something. But the true call of discipleship is a very demanding one. Uh, get behind me and follow me. And if you should lose your life for my sake in the gospels, you shall truly find life. I think maybe we aren't nearly empowered as we might be indeed energized by you and the Son and the Holy Spirit because we haven't heard these challenges, these demands, these definitions of true discipleship and made them our own. They might seem scary, but Lord, uh, we pray that you give us grace to commit to them that we might find, just as Jesus says, that he who loses his life for me will find true life. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.